You are listening to So You Want to Read Tolkien, a podcast that goes through each of J.R.R. Tolkien's main works, chapter by chapter, and discusses them in a most ridiculous manner. One does not simply walk into Mordor. I would cut off your head, dwarf, if it stood but a little higher from the ground. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? Yeah, Till at last I threw down my enemy and smote his ruin upon the mountainside. What's happening out there? Shall I describe it to you? Or would you like me to find you a box? Now, don't be hasty, Master Miriado. Is this new devil Hello and welcome to So You Want to Read Tolkien Outbreak Edition. I'm Caitlin, <laughs> and my city is not doing any sort of quarantining despite having the most cases of COVID 19 in Canada. Yikes. Cheers. I'm Rachel, and I'm just living in my house now. I'm working from home. It's gonna, it's gonna be a time. I'm Emmy, and I am also working from home, yay social distancing, and I'm getting a lot of Harry Potter knitting done. Like, a lot of it. And watching The Great British Bake Off, and reading Lord of the Rings. That sounds like a good quarantine time. It's been a great quarantine time. I feel like I need to say... My city is doing some things. They're just not really affecting me yet. And I want some time off work. So if we could get to the lockdown situation. I also like want to stop feeling uncertain anxiety about what the fuck's going to happen. I mean, on the one hand, I think I'd feel better. But on the other hand, if we do go into a lockdown and they're going to be responsible for bringing me groceries, like I'm going to feel so judged by the things I order (laughs) from the grocery store. Like, you know, they say you get one panic bought item, like you get one thing, no questions asked. Everybody's using it on toilet paper. My family bought four different kinds of bread flour when we arrived at the grocery store and there was no bread left. They were like, oh, you know how to make bread. Here's this flour. <laughs> um, so for me, uh, we had a vacation book to go to Emerald City Comic Con last weekend. And obviously mm-hmm. that was canceled. But because my friends and I had vacation booked, we were like, well, let's just book a cabin in the woods and go stay there for four days, which oh, we that did. That would have been fun. And it was fabulous, except like when we left Thursday morning, things were, you know, people here had cases of COVID, but they were all in the hospital and was all contained. And everyone was like, do the social distancing. Everything's going to be fine. And then we were in the woods with spotty internet. <laughs> so we were like completely removed. <laughs> and then suddenly and- everything was on fire. <laughs> Yes. So when we came back on Sunday, it like we missed the shit rising. It was just in the fan already, you know? <laughs> like, where where did all this shit come from and how did it yeah, get on exactly. my ceiling? Exactly. And it was very jarring for me anyways. I I would love to tell you that the stress goes away when you're working from home, but turns out I'm just a giant bundle of anxiety for the next several weeks. Yep. But a giant bundle of anxiety who didn't go on public transit today. That's very true. Yeah. Anyways, let's talk about chapter... Nope. Let's talk about (laughs) Return of the King, book five, chapter three, The Muster of Rohan. 
I'm going to yes. do characters because I'm already talking. <laughs> Good call. We've got Mary, one poor, lonely little hobbit left behind by all of his friends. He's social we distancing. Have- <laughs> We're going to talk about this. It was good- It's really sad. And we have Theoden, the king of Rohan. And we have Eomer, Theoden's nephew. We have Eowyn, Theoden's niece, also left behind. And we have Dunhir. Done here? Dune here. Dune. Hard to Whatever. say. I don't know. I think we're done here. <laughs> were you preparing that from the beginning? No. Believe I don't it or not, believe no. <laughs> How long has that been in your pocket? He is the Lord of Harrowdale, which is the place that we go to in this chapter. We have Hirgon, a messenger from Minas Tirith, who comes in with a red arrow. Whoa, spoilers. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. What? Now you just ruined the whole chapter. Why are they even going to listen? God. And we have Dernhelm, a very random Rohan soldier who is young and slight, and definitely not anyone else we already know. (laughs) Sir, totally not (laughs) appearing in this character list. (laughs) I've had a good bit of cider in the half an hour that we had to wait for Emmy, so (laughs) carry on. No, I mean, I had the obligatory Guinness. Um, Oh, yeah. yeah, it's the 17th. Yeah. I, know, I know, right? God, it's St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day, Day, and we're like, what even, what even is? It, it was wild. I mean, I don't normally care about St. Patrick's Day, but like people at the office usually get dressed up, but You're right. nobody's. Yeah, yeah, anyways. All right. Uh, so yeah, a short summary in this chapter. The soldiers of Rohan prepare to ride into battle, and a couple of people are determined not to be left behind. Yay! Um, yeah, so for I, the... I would also like to interject that we get the foreshadowing that we should have had before the previous chapter, but it's like aft shadowing. Yeah. It's the the aft shadowing for which part? For the paths of the, the dead. going in the door? Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm just checking. <laughs> There's a lot of... Cause I haven't thought of it of aft shadowing, but we're going to use that phrase now all the time. <laughs> um, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this chapter for just, you know, everybody who's going to die. Uh, there's a lot of that. I mean, so, only one person died. Yeah. I think. I think you're that right. That we know of. Well, I don't know. That maybe, is named. Maybe done here. Done here? He's so done here. <laughs> now That's I, not funny at all. I'm just yeah, actually, I think I was pronouncing it that way in my head this whole time. And I didn't make the connection until you used it in a sentence. That's exactly it. As soon as Caitlin said it aloud, I was like, oh. (laughs) Oh, wait. I'm so glad I could. Well, me and Tolkien together could inspire this pun for you. There you go. I'm sure Um, we're not the first people. It's one of those funny things. If Darnhelm weren't someone who, you know, we definitely don't already know, uh, the intro really would sound like a classic Tolkien setting up like a red shirt. Like, oh, right, yeah. yes. we're going to yeah. introduce you to this random, good-hearted Rohan soldier and then murder them. I mean, You're I feel that way about the kid that Pippin's hanging out with. Like, are you introducing yep. us to this child just to kill him? Pretty much. Yep. I genuinely don't remember. I don't know either, but I am I feel like the answer is everybody dies. So, I, you know. I actually think too many people live in these books. But anyways, carry on. Uh, so, okay. While Pippin is standing at the great gates of Minas Tirith, uh, as we discussed before, right, he's watching the Prince of Dol Amroth enter the White City. Theoden, King of Rohan, and all of his riders are making their way through the mountains uh, where their troops will be waiting for them. So we get a lot of a lot of really great Tolkien descriptions of, of trees and the whitewater conditions of the river. 
and all of the rivers that meet this river. Um, And then Mary has this really great quote, actually, that I loved. Uh, He loved mountains, or he had loved the thought of them, marching on the edges of stories brought from far away. But now he was borne down by the unsupportable weight of Middle Earth, which I think I love this quote because it's literally like the weight of the world is on Mm -hmm. this little hobbit's shoulders. Um, And it's this deliberate dichotomy of, you know, smooshing all of these world events into the symbolism of a mountain and then making Mary carry it with an army by himself. It is a very, very good line. It's interesting to me, though, because I always feel the opposite when I'm in the mountains. Like, I kind of live surrounded by mountains, but not like in them. So whenever we go out to like hike in them or camp in them or anything like that, I feel the exact opposite. I'm like, ah, freedom. Yes. Okay. I would Mm. agree with that because I live nowhere near mountains. I live in Illinois, which for all of my non-American friends or people who are from, you know, anywhere else, uh, I mean, we don't even have decent sized hills. Yeah. It's flat. It is very, very, very flat. Well, and that's like, I I like that feeling of like the awe-inspiring humongousness of nature. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm also aware that there's sort of the, there is that inverse side of it that sometimes if I think too hard when I'm like looking down on the world from an airplane or something and I'm like, I am an insignificant speck on this rock. Who is, in Mary's case, supporting the weight of Middle Earth. Except- mm-hmm. Like, you would think that that's how Frodo is supposed to feel, right? From the outside, you wouldn't expect Mary, who is, I'm sorry, Mary, but a hobbit with, like, no particular uh, plot vitality, right? He's not, like, moving the plot along in the same way as the thing Frodo of, is. Yeah, the thing Ow, about Mary is that... cactus. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus, stop gesturing. The thing about Mary is that he does have an important role to play. like. Uh, spoilers, the Witch King would not die without him. Like, Eowyn wouldn't wouldn't have gotten him without Mary's help, which is very important, but he doesn't know that. And this whole chapter is him being told that he's not important. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It is very interesting that he has this feeling now. Yes. And moving on to that feeling of significance, which we are going to dwell on for the four pages of notes that I have written, um, we get to discuss, as we're moving through this mountain, the incredibly difficult logistics of what it looks like to move troops across mountain passes, which is to say that basically they walk like two horses at a time down a very winding steep path and it takes forever. Um, We don't get that in the movies. There's none of that. They just like snap their fingers and appear. Uh, But they've been traveling for days without a lot of sleep. And we learn that the other riders uh, smile. They're like really happy to see Mary riding next to uh, King Theoden, right? He's got his shaggy little gray pony and the king is on this beautiful white war horse that is not Shadowfax, um, and Mary and Theoden get to talk about the Shire and all of its, like, small gossips, and then Theoden is talking about the Mark and all of its mighty heroes from history. None of whom just... are named Mark. No, none of whom are named Mark. That is an oversight. <laughs> Mark from the Mark. Okay, literally, when they said that the first time in the movie, which is the first time, like, I read all of the books after the movies came out. Is like, what news from the Mark? I think is what Aragorn said, like, chapters ago. Mm-hmm. I literally thought he said, what news from Mark? <laughs> like, I didn't realize that the Mark was a place. <laughs> Followed me for, like, months until I read the books. And I was like, wait a second. No one's named Mark in this book. Which should have occurred to me because no one's they don't have Mark any English in the names. movies either. No. Um, so... Uh, basically, right, they talk about, they have stories, they have casual conversations, they're 
riding on their way to war. But when Mary and Theoden are not riding together, Mary's sort of like hanging back from the king's pack, <laughs> from the king's men. And he's trying to understand all of the speech of Rohan, which I really like this part because, you know, Tolkien, the linguist, he talks about how Rohan, Ro- mm, the writers, the Rohirrim, are using a lot of words that he knows. Uh, but Mary says it's spoken more richly and strongly than it is in the Shire. And yet he could not piece the words together. So like from the outside, I'm like, okay, so either they all share the same language root, right? Like they're all romance languages in the same mm-hmm. language family, or the writers are rocking like some really colloquial accent like Cockney is to English. I had someone ask, uh, talking about Dairy Girls and was like, is that like, that can't be real, right? Like, oh, oh no, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, but like literally some, sometimes, right, that's, yeah, exactly. They say things and I have to Google what it means because <laughs> they're speaking English. But I have no idea what they're saying. Hmm. Um, I've, I like. I don't know. I've always been really bad with accents, but I've never really had a problem understanding Irish accents. I mean, yeah, it depends. It's not so on, much the accents. The it's like sometimes the they say then. like slang or colloquialisms, and I just okay. don't understand where it came from. I do think slang-wise, I benefit from having spent six months in the UK. Probably most of my. Slang knowledge comes from fan fiction. Thank you. Thank you, Internet. The problem with fan fiction that takes it's place all in fake. the UK is it's mostly written by Americans. and Oh, no, but you can tell immediately <laughs> yeah. which like... ones are done by people who actually live there. Because, yeah, the American ones are, well, they spell things wrong, for starters. If they spell things the American way, I immediately know. Yeah. Yep. Okay, back on task. As I said before, the... Rohirrim have been riding with very little rest, and Mary is incredibly lonely because, you know, he can basically talk to Theoden or no one because they're not really speaking to him and he doesn't speak their language. Um, and he's basically gotten trapped with the writers of Rohan for the sake of, like, narrative continuity because, you know, the stories really only follow what's happening to the company and not yeah. anyone else, which is why but he's still there. I wonder if, um, like, if Mary's just not great at making friends. Because Pippin's kind of stuck with people who don't know him or anything like that. And he's just like, hey, random kid, you're my best friend now. Also, I like your dad. He was cool. Mary's just shy. Yeah, maybe Mary's just doesn't want to, maybe he's not good at talking to people. Like, you know, Pippin's always been there to just like go chat to people. And Mary's like never had to put in the... The effort to because I, I would suspect if you're riding two by two like he's if he's not beside the king he's going to be beside somebody he could talk to well it says they ride two by two or single file down the mountain yeah, okay. so it's either slow or it's even slower those are the two yeah. speeds they have available to them but the, this sounds like good opportunity for him to make friends with some people but he he doesn't he's either he does not that's oh my god you're elizabeth depressed. bennett criticizing mr darcy <laughs> I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying he's not. So it maybe it you should take your say, aunt's advice and practice. It just seems to say <laughs> that maybe Mary isn't very comfortable making friends with strangers in the way that we have seen with Pippin and even Sam to an extent, you know, like anyways, it's just an interesting <laughs> character point in Mary. It's not a criticism. He's but there to are be so many riders of Rohan at the ball and not enough partners. Jesus Christ, Rachel. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. All right. We're going to let that metaphor go. Is that a metaphor? That illusion? I don't... What are we... Never mind. We don't care about the literary 
title for it. Okay. Um, Mary spends his time writing alone, dwelling on the friends that have abandoned him. Um, so he wonders where Pippin got wait, off wait, to. Sorry, sorry. All of his friends have abandoned him. So obviously he's not in the mood to make more because they're just going to abandon him too. Oh my he's God. not Abandonment shy. He's issues. pissed. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> or traumatized. Yeah. One of those options. So he's like, I wonder where Pippin got off to. I wonder where Strider, Legolas, and Gimli are. And then uh, Mary realizes he has, in the span of time, entirely forgotten about Frodo and Sam, <laughs> who are, like, supposedly the most important ones in the fellowship. And you know, Mary, that's okay, because honestly, I forgot about them too there for a hot minute. Um, yep. Their story's just not as interesting. Hey! I like Sorry. Frodo. I like Fr- I like Frodo too a lot more in the books, but it's just oh. not that interesting. <laughs> also, in all fairness, it's been uh, more than a hot sec since we since finished we got Two there. Towers. Yeah. Oh no, it's, yeah. it's been a while. I, I agree, and I I even totally get why Mary would have forgotten about them because they left a while ago, and a lot has happened since then that doesn't feel like it really concerns them, and there it almost feels like they just went home. You know, <laughs> even though they are technically off doing the, um, I don't want to say more important, but like a very important part of everything. They left the party. The the yeah. linchpin upon which the rest of their things yeah. hinges. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is the most important because like, sure, the Witch King dies, but that wouldn't have meant much if Frodo hadn't destroyed the ring. Frodo and Sam and Gollum. It's a joint thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for making sure they all share the credit. Well, okay. people get a little pissy about it. Which is, I mean, okay, that's fair. Sam deserves this credit. I don't know about Gollum, okay? I just don't know. We can get there when we get there. But for now, we are finally arriving at Harrowdale, which now that I look at that word, I'm not sure that I spelled it right, but it doesn't matter. It is in a great valley, which I just want to dwell on for a second because Tolkien always describes them descending the mountains. Always. They're always going down, but only once does he ever describe them going up any part of the mountain. So I have a lot of questions about geography and the length of time that's passed because it's supposedly been days and they've only been going down. But we're almost to Edoras, which is good because it's taken a while. Um, And Theoden has called a gathering of the Mark, right? Aomer is going to try, well, not is going to, he does try to get Theoden to stay at Edoras and not ride off to war. And Theoden shoots him down, you know, Kind of hard, but he's a loving uncle. Because staying behind is the sort of thing that Wormtongue would have suggested. And Theoden says that he will never lean on a staff again, which is both, you know, foreshadowing to the fact that eventually he's going to die. And also sort of lends credence to the idea that he is going to get himself killed in battle um, rather than return. And if they lose the war, hiding in Edoras isn't going to do him any good. And then we have a really depressing quote, which is, and if it is one, what grief... Will it be, even if I fall, spending the last of my strength? Which is like, if we win, what do I matter if I'm dead? Ugh, it hurts me. I read it the other way as being like, if it is won and I fall giving the last of my strength to it, that will be, you know, a happy occasion. Like, I am happy to give my life for this victory because the world will be a better place. Well, yes, but from the point of view from other people, it's like... You'll have no, you won't grieve for me because we will have won. And how important am I then compared to the whole world of men? I really like this line. I thought it was really good. I like it too. And I really like Thaden as a character. He's, he's very good. Mm. Me too. They give, they, they sing a song to him 
His army serenades him later. We're going to talk about that because I really enjoyed it. All right. So after, you know, this really depressing bit of foreshadowing where Theoden feels like in his heart, he's not going to return from this war. uh, We get more descriptions of nature. You know, there's the Snowboard River and then there's a dale. And then they're approaching the guards of Dunharrow Hall. Blah, blah, blah. Of Dunharrow. There's no hall. The hall is later. Um, Harrowdale is the hall. Dunharrow is the place. It's a lot of geography. Why? Everything starts with a D in this chapter. And just to remind everyone, Dunharrow is where the where Aragorn stopped and talked with Eowyn. I don't know if talked with is how you describe what happened last chapter. But, you know, <laughs> well, just, to, yeah. just to orient everyone, we've been here recently. Eowyn's going to bring that up, too. Um, so the guards of Dunharrow, right, they, they hail Theoden upon his arrival. Everybody gets really excited because even though stories of their victory have preceded them, you know, it's a whole other thing when your king rolls into town. So horns are echoing across the valley. It's all very majestic and picturesque and everybody's happy. And then we meet Dunhir, <laughs> um, who is the chieftain of the folk of Harrowdale, which is apparently different from being the chief of Harrowdale. I don't know, but... There's a lot of words in there. And uh, Dunhir tells Theoden and company that Gandalf was here, right? He passed on tales of their victory and also a bunch of orders to muster the riders as quickly as possible. And Gandalf told them not to assemble in the fields and not to light any more fires than absolutely necessary so that they can keep their numbers a secret and not make themselves easier targets. Because a fell beast, and by extension, probably a Nazgul, was sighted and scared the shit out of everyone, like, mm-hmm. the same day. Three days ago. Um... And I really loved this exchange, right? Because Dunhir shows up uh, next to Theoden and is basically like, so Gandalf was here on that horse that he stole from you, my king. And then he gave us a bunch of orders that he seemed really confident about. So we did what he said. And that was, I mean, was that what you wanted us to do? Yeah. And like when Theoden is like, yes, all is well. I can just like really see Dunhir being like, phew, nailed it. Okay. (laughs) That was really good. He was like, uh... Gandalf told us to do this stuff, so we did it. We did. He seemed and really then, confident about it. Yeah. And then Theoden was like, it's cool, it's cool. I'm like, okay, like, great. Oh, thank God. Um, everybody rides, well, not everybody rides for the hold. Only Theoden's, you know, like, group, his inner circle, ride into the hold. Everybody else is stuck, like, outside the village, I guess. Um, and they pass through the the muster of the Rohirrim, and Mary is like, whoa. There are a lot of soldiers. I don't even know how to count this many soldiers. Um, And we get a really long description of the only upward incline I can remember in this chapter as they head towards the hall. And Everybody loves a good upward incline. We love mountains, as we've learned. Um, Mm -hmm. And this path also has these really cool stone carvings that are the size of standing stones. So I'm picturing like Stonehenge height. And I would like people to know that I have never been to Stonehenge. So I'm picturing <laughs> a picture of Stonehenge. Um, and there are these statues of Hucklemen, which when I typed this the first time, Google attempted to autocorrect to Picklemen, <laughs> um, which I don't know. They're a mystery. I, I think I pronounced it Pukle in my head. Pukle. There's supposed to be an accent over the U, which is not in the notes because I didn't care. Yeah. Um, Pukklemen. Puckleman. But I also just sort Puckleman. of read it as puke men. There you go. <laughs> um, and pretty much only Mary is impressed by these statues. All of the writers just ignore them as they're going past. And it's said that Mary almost like pities these carvings. Like he's got wonder, but he's also like, oh, everyone's ignoring you. That's so sad. And it is, honestly, because ancient giant works of art about, I don't know, a group of men that we don't know. 
when they first described huge standing stone sized uh, carvings of humanoid figures, I thought they were going to be like trolls, but no. Well, and I think it's a sign of, you know, these are the people who were there before ever a ship arrived from Valinor. And it's like the people that we've shat on for (laughs) these books. And I mean, the people who were there before the ships arrived from Numenor, not Valinor. We knew what Rachel meant. Well, are we sure? Okay. okay. Well, I I, I didn't know. Actually, let's Google. Who are they? Because they said since ever a ship arrived from the West. I assumed they meant Numenor and like and the Gondorian culture setting up. All right. We have no answers. The Pugilmen are ancient stone carvings. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Perhaps related to the Oathbreakers. Who populated These the were White carved Mountains. by the ancient, long-forgotten men of the Second Age, so Numenor. Perhaps related to the Earth, Earth, statues were thought to be in the likeness of Woses or Druidane, who also had made their homes there. The internet's got some really creepy pictures of them. If you're interested, feel free to Google. I've lost my notes. Oh, here we go. So they arrive in what is essentially a landing between a bunch of different mountains. So like a valley above a valley between different mountains, one of which is... All right, wish me luck. The Dwimmerberg, uh, the haunted mountain with its its creepy path for the dead with more standing stones and then the forbidden door at the end that is shut. Right, they're very clear about that. The way is shut. Um, do we care <laughs> about the names for the other mountains? Because I can read them if we want, but otherwise we're going to blow right yeah. past them. No. Okay, yeah, no one cares. Fine. One of them is black and haunted and that's the one that we care about. Eowyn shows up when they all arrive at this special landing valley that exists between all of these mountains we don't care about. And she looks like maybe she's just stopped crying, but she is very glad to see her uncle. She updates him about how hard it's been to get everyone in Rohan moving because it's been a really long time since they've been at war and been run out of their homes. Um, But there were no evil deeds and they've made it here okay, as he can see, because apparently he can. I guess everybody's hanging out in this clearing. (laughs) Um... Erwin also says, Aragorn was here, but you've just missed him. He left down the road called the Paths of the Dead with no explanation, which is just a classic Aragorn move, really. Yeah. Yep. Um, and Eomer takes this pretty hard, which is fair, because from the outside, it's a really stupid thing to, to do, to go down a road called the Paths of the Dead. From um, which literally no one else has no ever No one has returned. ever come back. <laughs> no one comes back from this. Um, and is like, well, I, our paths are sundered. We're going to have to go on without him. And Mary also spends some time fretting over it because all of his friends have left him behind. And not only have they all left him behind, but they have all gone off to what is really certain doom, right? Uh, Sam and Frodo have gone off to Mordor, where everyone dies. Um Strider and Legolas and Gimli have gone down the paths for the dead where everyone dies. Um, And Gandalf and Pippin have gone off to war in the east where maybe not everyone dies, but everyone is sort of like expecting to die because that war is going to be really bad. Um, And then after he thinks through all of these really depressing thoughts about how everyone he knows has abandoned him, he's like, wow, I'm hungry. Let's go find food. (laughs) It's so Hobbit. Um, It was so Hobbit. I thought that too. Uh, Before he can get anything to eat, though, he gets summoned by the king um, not to wait on him at dinner, which is actually a job a squire should have been doing. But instead, Theoden clears a space beside him so that Mary can sit down and eat. And eventually he plucks up the courage to ask about the paths of the dead and why on earth would Aragorn ever go down them. Um, And then we get a little bit of backstory and mythology, which we do love. Mm -hmm. Aft-shadowing. (laughs) Aft-shadowing. Really? (laughs) Should have had this information before, but okay. Theoden shares that 
apparently they've already been walking down part of the paths for the dead, uh, paths of the dead, to get to this valley that they're currently in. But essentially, no one knows what lies behind the door, right? The big black door at the end of the dark, dark path. Um, What they do know has been passed down for generations. The door in the Dwimmerberg leads to a secret way under the mountain. The mountain is the Dwimmerberg. I'm pronouncing that wrong. Leave me alone. Actually, um, that sounds pretty good. Thank you. But nobody knows what the secret way under the mountain is, where it goes, what it's doing. Um, and nobody who has ever ventured that far has ever returned because the dead men of the dark years, which is all capital letters, dead men of the dark years, are guarding the way. Um, and when Mary asks, like, what could have possibly made Aragorn go this way? There's pretty much just like a shrug and people are like, I don't know, a prophecy, I guess, maybe? Like, <laughs> he must have been called? Uh, Eowyn uh, says... Hmm? So, hey, they actually, in this part, they talk about how, like, what, like, the son of the first king when they built um, Metaseld, uh the, you know, castle at Edoras, um, house, whatever, hall. My next like, basically, paragraph. What? Isn't that my next paragraph? Uh, where they come across the oh. kingly statue of the person? No, well, no. We find no. out who the dead guy is. Okay, the yep, dead guy by the door. Yeah, go for it. Anyway, but but they this this <laughs> son basically got drunk and boasted that he was going to go in that way. Never a good idea. And and I immediately thought of that like random figure clawing at the door. Yes, it is. That we him. don't know anything. Well, about. it is. It is presumably him. We are Maybe. alluded. I to. mean, at least it's the only human we've heard mention of. I, and if I recall, the um, the skeleton had really nice armor on, so it would make mm-hmm. sense that he is the son of the king. I remember the king's name. It was Brego. It wasn't, I don't remember the dead dude's name. It's no, I thought Baldur. Brego was the son. No, Brego is the dad. He was son of Brego. Son. There we go. But yeah, it was like Baldor because it was basically Baldor. Baldur's right. Gate. What? Sorry. Dungeons and Dragons in my head. So uh, I was going for the god because it's Tolkien. <laughs> Yes. Anyways, I can't remember what I was saying. Just to Thank make you. clear here, we were very angry about not knowing who that dude was. So it is nice to get an answer. Yes. But again, it's a non-answer. Yeah, again, we don't know what's behind the door or why he was so desperate to get it open. But also, it would have been really cool to have this story beforehand. So when they found him, it would be like, oh, it's <gasps> probably the dead dude's son. Seriously. Yeah, oh, no, the dead dude. The son of the smart. king, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. It, the aft shadowing is very strange in this book. So basically, yes, Eowyn says that Aragorn looked a lot or- older when he showed up um, in this valley and grimmer than when she last saw him. And Theoden is like, well, the dead must have called him into the dim old shrug. <laughs> Who knows? Um, and then we get we get the real backstory of this, which ties into Brago and Balder and, and the door, because it's said that when Aerolingus came north seeking refuge in all of the places that they could turn into strongholds, um, around Rohan, they made it to the door and they mistook the man who was sitting at its entrance for like an ancient kingly statue because he didn't move and he was really, really old and presumably like somehow in some way looked like a rock. I don't know if he was like dusty or what, but he just like didn't even breathe. Um, and it's only when they made to go inside the door that the statue spoke and said, you know, the phrase that we all know, the way is shut. It was made by those who are dead and the dead keep it until the time comes. The way is shut. And then this old kingly statue man dropped dead literally on his face before he could answer the logical question, which is, and when will that time be? <laughs> um, and it's this moment when we get interrupting Gondor, um, an errand writer from Denethor 
named uh, Hirgon enters and Mary is shocked for a moment because like this man looks just like Boromir, right? They're wearing the same sort of armor. Obviously, it's Gondor. They look very, very similar. They're probably related. Even though I knew it wasn't, I had a split second of thinking like, is it Faramir? I know. No, I definitely thought it was Faramir too for a second. I think the actual answer is Mary's just a little bit racist. I mean, yes. And Could all be. Gondorians look the same to him. That's- Only the noble ones. We've heard about how they're all tall and proud and fair with gray eyes. <laughs> to be fair, like just to be fair, Mary hasn't met a lot of men before like this year, the last few months. And now there's a bunch of them and they all wear exactly the same clothes. <laughs> so That's, that is fair. Yeah. Okay. Or like one of and two they're all sets white. of clothes. Yeah. <laughs> they're all white they've wearing the same clothes. They've got trees and stars, or they've got horses. And he's like, ooh, <laughs> a star the two man. Yeah. <laughs> I've met one star man before. <laughs> yeah. They must so, all be David Bowie. <laughs> the star man sinks to one knee, and he hands over to Theoden a red arrow. Dun, dun, dun. dun. So I totally remembered the red arrow bit, but I, which is... <laughs> <laughs> I was not speaking... <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't think it was that funny. Sorry. Okay. Okay. So I totally remembered the red arrow bit, which is why I was so surprised when they lit the beacons because I'd forgotten that. And I was like, what is the point of doing both of these things? That's what I said too. Like, okay, this is a token of war, which apparently indicates that Gondor is in great need because, you know, Lighting the beacons on top of the mountains and sending a rider with a note couldn't do that, right? They needed this very special symbolic red arrow, which if but there's like, only one of them, how do you know that the rider isn't going to get killed and you're going to lose the arrow? And then maybe Rohan is just going to think that, like, you lit the beacons for no reason. But also this dude says he's like an, a messenger from Denethor. Like, did he ride from Gondor? If so, what the fuck was the point? How because did he get there that fast? <laughs> Right. Like, it, are the beacons just in case he gets killed? Are the beacons not a call for aid? Are the beacons like, hey, we're sending a messenger, keep a lookout? In which case, what a waste of time. <laughs> just send like six messengers. God. Anyway, this whole part, I can see why they cut it from the movie. It's really, really dumb. But I, I kind of like the imagery of this like noble dude from Gondor who, and Gondorians are generally pretty, uh, let's say, proud in a plate plate way yeah um uh, you know kneeling before the king and beseeching him and that's a really good scene but it i don't know it just all seems very redundant it is especially since now right rohan has the red arrow so gondor's not allowed to need any help until they get the red arrow back (laughs) which clearly they can't do until rohan is in trouble first like i'm just very confused by this entire process do they just paint a random arrow red and send it again (laughs) i mean i think it's a very specific one because i think so too but that makes even less sense when rohan goes to offer their aid they bring the red arrow back and be like we have Completed our aid. Here's your arrow, bitch. Send it again. I guess again. we're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. Send, Send it, it again, again if you need us. Yeah. We're going um, home. So 
Theoden has at this point, like that terrible, I was expecting this, but life still sucks expression. That's a relatable reaction right now. Right, isn't yeah. it? Uh, the Red Arrow has not been seen in the mark in his entire life. And Denethor has asked for the Riders of Rohan to come with all of their strength and speed to fight with Gondor behind the walls of Minas Tirith because they are about to be besieged, um, which is, I mean, obviously does not play at all to the strength of Rohan, who fight on horseback. Like, that is what they're known for. That is how they win wars. Uh, and you can't do that in a walled city. So Denethor gets no points for strategy. But Theoden and his men are clearly already on their way. I mean, they've ridden but, from... I mean, if the city's under siege, like, there's going to be a big army outside the city. Rohan can help with that. Yeah. Because so, they're not but- going to ride up to, to Gondor and be let in. They got to siege their way in. Well, that's... So Denethor is asking that Rohan moves faster than, you know, possible, and gets there before the other army sieges them so that they can be led into the city and then fight from the walls, which is just kind of stupid. Mm -hmm. I did not understand that. That is dumb. I mean, it just doesn't, first off, time-wise, you can't move an army that fast. You can't move 6,000 people that fast, even when they're on horses. They're traveling through the mountain. I mean, I think the the least realistic argument here is that a siege happens that fast because the counter argument was like Theoden says, you know, here's about how long it will take us to get there. And the messenger's like, well, at that point, the city will already be taken. And it's like, do you realize how long sieges last or take to set up? Like the difference but, between like which three just, to five days just shows not- you that Hiragon does not have any faith in his fellow Gondor soldiers. I was going to say, I, Gond- I think mm. that accurately represents how the people of Gondor are feeling. Because if you think about there. it, they've got some soldiery people stationed in Osgiliath, which uh, in r- historical terms, relatively recently, they took back. And then it was very quickly taken back from them. And just things have gone fucking downhill since then. And Boromir's dead. You know, he was their big captain. Faramir's God knows where. Denethor's useless. <laughs> I was Clearly has really- no brain for strategy. I was going to call him a really bad word. Anyway, that's what I don't think I've ever said on this podcast. But he's a useless bitch. And like, I, I think probably morale in Gondor is plummeting. So yeah, Hergon, Hergon, whatever his name is, you know, mm-hmm. interrupting Gondor is pretty much like, um, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. Um, because I'm just the errand boy, but please come because we are very, very outnumbered. And if we fail, so too will you. Which leaves Theoden standing there like, um, even if we didn't feel how incredibly dire this situation was, we would still have come to help you. Like, we're allies. And in fact, you walked through my entire army. Obviously, we're already on our way. Like, go back and tell Denethor that I'm coming to war myself and will ride in defense of Gondor. We'll be there in a week. Um, which is the part where Hirgon gets, like, super aghast. And uh, he really shouldn't, because as we said, moving an army takes an incredibly long amount of time. But he tries to like lay on the guilt uh, that in a week they will find little more than stone and rubble, and perhaps they will fight the orcs and the swarthy men, which, ugh, racism. But they will fight them um, as they feast in what's left of the White Tower over our dead bodies. And Theoden is pretty much just like, yeah, at least we can do that. <laughs> That Which was really good. I loved. It's like, yeah, at least we can fight them after you're dead. It's like, oh, you won that exchange. And then we get a time jump. Yay. Yay. Uh, to the next day, which is, it is so dark outside that uh, Mary didn't wake up when the sun rose, which he was supposed to, right? The clouds of Mordor have preceded their army. And even though it's day, the sun is just 
gone. You can't see it. It's basically nighttime. And Which Mary shows we've up. Reached, we've reached the like mark of how we're syncing everybody up time-wise. The, the dark yep. day. The dark day. It's the day um, of the black sun. Mary yeah. shows up to the king um, and then is told like he's going to be staying behind. Um, because And Theoden has this really great line that hurts me in my soul. And he says, I release you from my service, but not from my friendship. Which, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. it's both so, like, that is what a good thing to say. Like, you've become actual friends with a king. And also, like, oh, it hurts. He didn't want to be released. He doesn't want to be left behind again. And yeah. Mary essentially has to stay behind because he rides a pony um, and he can't ride a war horse. It's, they're too big for him. And, and his pony can't keep up. And even though Mary is like, I would run all the way there if I had to. And Theoden's like, well, I would rather carry you on my own horse um, than have you hurt yourself that way. Like, he can't do it. It's not going to happen. And It's Eowyn- also noted that because of the Day of the Dark, Theoden's like, oh, we can just ride across the valley quickly on our war horses instead of taking the secret ways through the mountain. Kind of implying that our whole question last time about why they were taking the slow way was to hide the army. Mm-hmm. I still the think it was of the army. Yeah, I still think it was kind of silly. Yeah, that and doesn't really make a lot of sense. There for plot reasons, but now since they're going to be, it was they there. can kind of hide themselves in the dark, and they're going to be riding fast. They just can't bring Mary because they're going to be galloping on their big horses. It was there because Tolkien really wanted to describe all these different kinds of mountains. Yes, but, of um, Eowyn summons Mary away from this discussion with Theoden before it can turn into like a real fight. Um, and tells him that Aragorn had one request before he left, and that was that Mary be armed for battle. So he gets a helm, he gets a shield, just like the one that Gimli has with a white horse on it um, as its sigil. He gets a leather jerkin, a belt, a knife. Mary already has a sword because Aragorn, I believe it was Aragorn, gave... No, no, he has no, his... Tom Bombadil the... gave it to him. Oh, the Tom Bombadil gave him his... Yes! The Bear Downs. Tom, Tom Bombadil gave him his sword. Does anyone remember? Did Aragorn actually say that? Or is this just I was AOA? just going to I can't remember. That. I don't think he I... did. I don't like, remember it from last time. So Eowyn I think this is just Eowyn. Yeah, I think this is just Eowyn being super smart here. I could be um, wrong. You guys, you guys talk. I'll look it up. That's okay. Because I'm pretty sure he did not. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Mary is like kind of touched that Aragorn remembered him, which, again, sadness, because I'm pretty sure Aragorn didn't. And then we get more nature because we're <laughs> riding again. We're riding east, um, and then we get this really great song about Theoden's bravery and fantastic leadership, essentially, until we get to Edoras. The the army is serenading him. So actually, no, so the army is not serenading him. They note that everyone is silent, but that this was a ride that then would be like most of like most of the people who wrote songs in the future would all be writing about it. And so then it's just dumped in. That this is the song? That, well... It's not even it's not even mentioned. There's no transition. It's just like they wrote off in silence. And then suddenly there's this, you know, poem. Do you want to read the poem, Rachel? I mean, I really like the poem, but I like it for super nerdy reasons. I like it, too. It has a really great internal rhyme. Okay, we're going to read the poem. It's happening. From dark Dunharo in the dim morning, with Thane and Captain rode Thengel's son. To Edoras he came, the ancient halls of the Mark Wardens mist and shrouded. Golden timbers were in gloom mantled. Farewell, he bade to his free people, hearth and high seat, and the hollowed places where he long had feasted ere the light faded. Forth rode the king, fear behind him, fate before him, fealty kept he, oaths he had taken, all fulfilled them. Forth rode Theoden. Five nights and days east, and onward rode the Aerolingus through fold and fen march and the fear and wood. Six thousand spears to sun lending, 
Mundberg the Mighty under Midlolium, Sea Kings in the South Kingdom, foe beleaguered, fire encircled. Doom drove them on. Darkness took them, horse and horsemen, hoofbeats afar, sank into silence. So the songs tell us. Okay, you're right. It would have made absolutely no sense for that poem to be sung while the ride was happening. <laughs> but I... Because uh, foreshadowing at the uh, end a little bit. Whoops. I love the lines where it says, Forth rode the king, fear behind him, fate before him, fealty kept he, oaths he had taken, all fulfilled them. And that's just, I mean, that's oh. straight up, you know, Norse poetry. Great right? leadership. Like, that's it. That's, that's what it means just, to be a good king. The... The style, the structure is straight from, you know, Tolkien translating the Eddas. It's it's so good. I love it so much. Uh, just You're to, back? Yeah. No mention of Mary last chapter. Yeah. Cool. Come on, in, Aragorn. In, between Aragorn and Eowyn. Mm-hmm. So, yes, this is just Eowyn being fucking awesome. And Aragorn dropping the goddamn ball on his friend. Uh, yep. So, anyway, I just, I love the random bits where Tolkien just drops in the, you know, Norse, Norse mythology in there, right? <laughs> like, it's so good. It's so good. It is. And then, after this great poem, Theoden bids farewell to Mary with some really harsh, none of my writers can bear you as a burden talk, because obviously Mary's not going to let this go, right? He, like, really wants to come. Um, and it seems, for a minute, like he really will actually be left behind until an unknown writer comes up behind him and speaks softly in his ear um, and has this little idiom that, the Rohirrim say, which is where will wants a way will blah, blah, blah. where will wants not a way opens or so say we he whispered and so I have found myself and this mysterious unknown writer offers to bear Mary with him hiding him under his cloak until they're far enough away and out of sight and Mary thanks this writer and asks for his name because he doesn't recognize him and the writer is sort of surprised by that and tells Mary to call him Dernhelm. Um, Dernhelm is, is really slight, and Mary is really small, even sitting before him in the saddle. So um, their horse, whose name is Windfola, what a great name for a horse, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't even notice, really, that there are two riders. Like, doesn't even acknowledge the burden. And then they ride into shadow. Um, and if anybody else wants to read the final paragraph of this chapter, I loved it. It's going down as, like, one of my favorite quotes from you, this you chapter. You do it then. Okay. Um, and so King Theoden departed from his own realm, and mile by mile, the long road wound away, and the Beacon Hills marched past, Kalinhad, Minrimun, Erolus, Nardal, but their fires were quenched. All the lands were gray and still, and ever the shadow deepened before them, and hope waned in every heart. Ah, uh, so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's really good. It just emphasizes the darkness, because without them saying it, I would forget that it's basically nighttime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What- it, it goes right there with the, you know, very end of the first chapter of the book where it's like, the darkness has begun, there will be no dawn. Mm-hmm. It's a parallel <sighs> to that. I do like how how he's had all three chapters, how, like, people separate at the beginning of the chapters, and then we've, like, synced them all up at the end of the, the first three chapters here. It, mm-hmm. It's worked really well. I like it a lot. I wanted to just jump in slightly and go back just, like, the teeniest bit where um, Mary had noticed the random soldier. Mm-hmm. Uh, before this mysterious Dernhelm uh, decided, you know, to carry him, and it's um, what a young man Mary thought as he returned the glance, less in height and girth than most. He caught the glint of clear gray eyes, and then he shivered, for it came suddenly to him that it was the face of one without hope who goes in search of death. Oh man, that just gives me chills. And I like it even better because we, I mean, 
I don't know why we're not saying, but I like it even better <laughs> because it's Aon. You know, because we know that yeah. she wants to go so bad, and now she's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to do what I can, and I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And she's Ugh, still going. My heart. Right. That's it. And she's she's seeking her heroic, heroic death rather than dying left behind. And It's very similar to what Theoden was thinking and why mm-hmm. he wouldn't stay behind. Right. Exactly. <sighs> why couldn't they make her king afterwards? Fuck Aramar. I mean, he's a good, <laughs> fine, he's fine, but she would have been a better king. Right. She'd be great at it. Mm-hmm. Her oh. and Faramir taking over the world. Yep. One horse at a time. <laughs> <laughs> With all their small, fair-haired children. Yes. Okay. So that's that's really where we end this chapter. Some some depressing riding off into the Shadowlands. Do you guys have favorite pieces that we maybe haven't talked about? I know I read a lot of quotes. I I really liked hearing everybody finally you know talk about the paths of the dead. Right? I love that backstory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though it's really like the way is shut and then he drops dead literally on his face. I Why? Th- <laughs> Why? I <laughs> I know we've heard it so much in the movies, but I love that that little line oh. there, like the way is shut. It is made by those who are dead and, and the, the dead, dead keep, keep it. it. It's so good. Yeah, no, it's, it's so, so good. good. And I like that we got like a little flash of the creepiness from the last chapter. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it should be mentioned that Eowyn has heard that a weird-ass company came through on the other side of the mountain, and everybody's just like, mm. <laughs> So gossip does indeed travel fast. <laughs> no, there's just a lot of that good good quotes of, you know, war building in this chapter. We kind of, we've been leading up to it with, you know, Minas Tirith and then the Army of the Dead, but this is really our bringing it all together. Like, all right, it's here. Yep. So the next chapter... Book five, chapter four, The Siege of Gondor. It's here. Yeah. It's here. It's a, it's a long chapter, so we're probably going to have a long episode next week. But hopefully by then, well, not hopefully, but like in all likelihood, my city will be in lockdown. We're going to get a lot done just I, for you guys. I feel like uh, I should specify that I'm being very flippant in order to not be anxious. Yeah. I'm no, not totally. actually flippant about this situation. Yeah. Yay, coping mechanisms. Yeah. Anywho's. What can you do? Wash your hands, everybody. Stay safe. Yeah. Stay healthy. I hope everyone yep. out there is staying safe and that mm-hmm. listening to us, uh, you know, gave you a chuckle. Yeah. Hope we can bring you and us a little joy in this time as we're talking about the Siege of Condor. <laughs> well, the next chapter, uh, I was going to say has my, like, favorite confrontation in it, but, like, like all the confrontations between like one-on-one confrontations in this book are my favorite. So I love them all, but we get the good Gandalf versus the witch King next chapter. Dun, dun, and dun. Nice. it's my fave. I love it. Well, it's not my fave because Eowyn <laughs> versus the witch King is my fave, <laughs> but like I love Gandalf versus the witch King too. So it's all very hard. This, this whole book. I love it. Anyways. Okay. So if you want to support the show in a monetary manner, you can do so at uh, patreon.com slash. So you want to read Tolkien. You can follow us on Twitter at to read Tolkien, and you can email us at want to read Tolkien at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show in a non-monetary manner, we always appreciate a review or a rating on your podcast listening platform of choice. I've been Caitlin. I've been Rachel. I've been Emmy. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. We're always so tentative when we say goodbye. You gotta be more confident. We're it's because we never know if Caitlin's actually done. <laughs>
All right. Hello and uh, welcome. Nope. You know, no, nope. no, nope. nope. right. No, nope. we count. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Didn't both mean to for just holding ruin me accountable there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was uh, good. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs>